is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. I'm here as always with my co-host, Leslie Bennett, and once again, we're going to do something a little different this season, Leslie. Mm-hmm. We've been thinking about what we, kind of content we want to deliver, so we've got an idea. We do. So, Pastor Jimmy, we introduced this podcast, I don't know if you realize this, on August 16th of 2017. Man. So that is six years ago. I can't believe it's been over six years since we started the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. I guess it goes into the category of time flies when you're having fun. And it is flying, and we are having fun. That's why we decided to go back and revisit some topics that we recorded in our very first episodes. And we've always said that we're learning together. We're figuring out some things as we go. We've never claimed to be experts and we are still learning, but now we're six years later. And I think we have some more fully developed thoughts than we did in 2017. I agree. Plus, we have some incredible people who have joined our team to help us discuss some of these topics that weren't here six years ago. And today we're going to talk about how we've abandoned the regional megachurch model for something else. And we have some new voices in the conversation. So I'd like to ask our guests to introduce themselves. Tell us a little bit about you, your family, perhaps where you served in ministry prior to coming to Family Church, and then what you're doing with us at Family Church. And let's go ahead and start with Pastor Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, and I've been here for two years. My wife, Pat, and I, we moved from the Maryland, D.C. area. I was serving in a denominational role, encouraging and consulting a couple of hundred churches there in the state of uh, Maryland and D.C. and Delaware, and churches of all size and churches of all background. And my experience before that was in leadership in a regional megachurch in a 16th largest metro area in the United States, the Louisville, Kentucky area. (laughs) Proud of it. All right, Todd. That's good. Yeah, I'm Todd Gaston, and I actually joined the team a little over two years ago, also from the DMV area, as we like to say, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. But I lived in Northern Virginia and planted a church right near, or actually, I was a part of a church right next to Quantico. Mm -hmm. And Pam and I have been married 31 years. We've got three daughters and a nephew that we raised. So, All right. And you're doing what now? And oh, yeah. Kevin, I don't think Kevin said what he's doing right now. But. You want to jump back in? Uh, I'm, I'm the campus pastor at Family Church Village. Okay. Yeah, and I'm actually the campus pastor at North Stewart and also the regional leader, about an hour north of us here, trying to replicate what we've done down here in West Palm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, Pastor De Silva. Glad to be here, Pastor De Silva. I think I'm from everywhere. Half in Brazil, <laughs> you are. half in Mexico, half Arizona, <laughs> South Florida. It's, a, it's, it's incredible. Well, where are you really from? I'm born in Brazil. There you mm. go. Born in Brazil. In the big city. In the big city, big city. Manaus is uh, over yeah. two, 2 million people in the area, but the Amazon is so big. So after 10 years in the Amazon jungle, I moved to the other jungle, Mexico City. <laughs> so, <laughs> for sure. 23 million people. Oh, I was wow. there for almost four and a half years with my wife and my daughter. When I came to United States for the first time, I was living in Tucson, Arizona for eight years, working there, serving there in the mega church. When I moved, I, I was invited to come into South Florida to serve in the other mega church. Uh, it was interesting. And joined Family Church nine years ago. I've been here wow. nine years serving in Family Church of Green Acres. 
Married for four, uh, for 38 years, three kids, two grandchildren, one more is coming. All right. And I'm um, so glad to be here serving the Latin American community here in West Palm Beach. All right. Amen. And our listeners probably know Pastor Jimmy, but if you want to just introduce yourself and then let's start the story with where we were as a church, First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, when you came here in 2008. Sure. So my name is Jimmy Scroggins. I've been the lead pastor at Family Church since 2008, so that's 15 years now. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and I have been married 29 years. We have eight children, six sons and two daughters. We have uh, four grandchildren. And so four of our kids are in college. Two of them are out and married and having kids of their own. Still have a middle school son and a high school daughter living in the home. We moved out. We moved here in 2008. I too had served on staff with a mega church, same one that Kevin Smith mm-hmm. served on. So um, I was at Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I served there for over 12 years and I was called to ministry in one of the great churches in America at the time, the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. And so I have mega church in my veins, in my blood. That's where I was trained. That's where I learned how to do ministry both as a college student, just watching and learning and having some first-time ministry experiences, but then working for Kevin Ezel at Highview in Louisville for all of those years. And that's when we went multi-site, and I learned a lot of things working for Kevin Ezel as as our leader, and he was a great pastor and still remains a, a great friend. In 2008, I came to the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. This was a legacy downtown Southern Baptist church, steeples and columns. It looks like a wedding cake on the inside and the outside. I came here and our church was started in 1901 and has been serving and has had many great and famous pastors. It's had multiple iterations of buildings and just our church started a great university, a Christian university called Palm Beach Atlantic University here locally. Started that school back in the 60s. It continues to thrive today. So our church has had some really remarkable leadership. I've seen, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to Christ, raise their families here. But when I came in 2008, our church had been suffering for five years with no pastor. We'd had multiple scandals stories in the newspaper. We'd had a pretty long season of decline, even preceding that. And by the time they called me as a pastor, our church was in financial trouble, heavily in debt. Facilities were dilapidated. Congregation was aging and dwindling. And morale was really just pretty low, Leslie, in our congregation. And you remember because you were here as a church member at that time with your husband, George, and your three children. And you, Leslie Bennett, were on the search committee Mm. that called us here. So when we came in 2008, we looked around and thought, you know, this church has always aspired to be a regional megachurch. And by that, I mean, we wanted to be a one-stop shop for people all over this region to drive in from wherever they were. We wanted to have great you know, recreational facilities, great student ministry, children's ministry, want to have great music and great preaching and plenty of parking and conferences and a bookstore. We had a restaurant, we had a a gym, we had a, we had all kinds. We had a a pregnancy center and a maternity home and a medical clinic with doctors and nurses and a dental clinic with dental hygienists and everything. We had a, we had a set of apartments where we could house homeless people Mm -hmm. and do rehab. I mean, this was a regional megachurch. And behind my desk right now are three sets of plans from previous pastoral administrations 
who had actually had architects draw up plans for a mega sanctuary that would seat thousands and thousands. So our church always aspired to be a regional mega church. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting to hear that because when we came to this church in 1993, my husband and I moved down here, we had been very much in a neighborhood church. And we moved here to this area. Someone just asked me about this recently. And we were looking for a church. And as we were looking for a church, we started looking around South Florida. And if anybody's been to South Florida, the demographic tends to be a little older. And at this time, we were 25-year-old people. And so we were looking for younger families. And that's how we came upon First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. And it did have everything. And it was great for a young family moving in, all kinds of people that we could get to know. So not being a church ministry staff person at that time, I didn't know the lingo to use. But yes, trying to be a regional mega church, and it had its day. But when you came, Pastor Jimmy, yes, we were not having our best days. And we like to joke because we were the third search committee put together. (laughs) And you like to say when the church calls you to be the pastor after five years of not having a pastor, you're not on the top of the list. Well, when you're on the third search committee, you're also not on the top of the list to be the search committee. So it was a great experience. And we believe that God led in that experience, that God brought you to us, that God had a plan all along, and that God's plan is being played out today. We'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. But let's just talk about this idea of a re- regional megachurch. First of all, what do we mean by megachurch? What does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So people who do church demography and church statistics usually say that a church that has an average of 2,000 people or more on a Sunday is a megachurch. So if you went back to the 1960s and 70s, there would only be a handful of churches that large anywhere in America of any denomination. But if you look around today, there are several hundred churches that would qualify as megachurches. Some of them are Southern Baptist affiliated, and some of them are affiliated with other denominations. Many of them are non-denominational. But these are large, full-service churches that somewhere between 2,000, and some of them run up to 20, 30, 40,000 people on a weekend. So it's kind of this time in our history as a nation and as a church, building the church, that we decided everybody should just kind of come to this one place, and the more people you can get, the better, basically, right? right? So now, as you have that experience, all of you building a regional mega church, I just have a few questions, like, what is your experience as you were doing that? Was it a good experience, a bad experience? the pros and cons of doing that. It was a wonderful experience. I am by instinct a preacher. And so to preach to a couple of services of thousands of people and preach to about 4,000 people overall is a wonderful thing for a preacher. To have a K through 12 school was wonderful. To raise my kids and have them hang out in the church's gym while I do a meeting was wonderful to have a baseball field. I mean, so all the conglomeration of it was wonderful. And then also our church was named after the community. And so to be like a thing in that community and our church also, it was full service, but it very much began and continued with a strong evangelistic thrust probably I was there when I was there we were celebrating 65 uh, anniversary things it had followed a band of believers had followed the planting of a GE plant mm. a GE appliance plant and so the whole thrust was evangelistic and that type of DNA never got out of the church so I had a wonderful 
experience. Other, you know, different than churches of different size, you always have to have this apparatus type person. Or some people say XP or just kind of more of a, I'm always uncomfortable to say corporate, but more of a corporate matter. Yeah. Uh, operator, yeah. yes. But it was a wonderful, wonderful, just wonderful experience. Beautiful disciples of Christ being developed. But everything is just larger and more of a thing to manage. I mean, you could put six deacons in your car, the first church I pastored. But at Highview, you know, you have a deacons meeting, you have like 88 people in there. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a whole different type of thing to deal with. But just, I love the experience. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking about that when you asked that question. I'm originally from Texas mm -hmm. and, you know, being in Virginia for 19 years and being a pastor there of a larger church in Virginia, you know, yeah, I would we would have fallen in that mega church category. But coming from Texas, it's like, that's every church That's every on every corner. corner. I mean, yeah. you, you yeah. see those kind of scale everywhere. And I think there is a strength to that scale of ministry, obviously the resources that has access to, and then the people uh, to be able to send out to the community. I mean, mm -hmm. there was some strengths in that model. However, even in the wrestling with that, they end up becoming some other challenges. You know, how do you develop yes. young voices? How do you mm -hmm. raise up new leaders? What do you put them in front of? <clears throat> and so I kind of, I'm in a kind of a tension of that. And obviously, I ended up coming to join this mission, this model. So in that, as much as I celebrate, I kind of felt like as I'm moving into more of a coaching season, perhaps in my mm. life and my calling, I feel like this could be more useful for my gifting and what I can maybe help give to that next generation as we continue to move forward. So my case, it was a little bit interesting because I came to South Florida, invited to serve in here, the mega church but I'm serving with the language church. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have a Spanish church before. I came to plant in the church. We planted the church inside the mega church. And I learned a lot. I saw this mega church moving from like six, 7,000 people to 15,000 people wow. in like in 10 years. I was a part of the leadership. I was involved with that. And planting the, the Spanish church and the city of the Spanish church is growing, growing, growing. But it's a lot of challenge, but the way we learn help us to thinking about the our culture and the future Hispanic church in the area because a lot of things I learned in the, in the mega church, I still using today for the Hispanic church, mm -hmm. even in this in small environment. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting for me. But yes, I see the Hispanic church today when the mega church was before, they're still growing. They growing, growing. It's a big church in the Spanish. But now in the neighborhood church with the, my Hispanic people, it's a totally different. So we can talk a little bit more about this, but it's totally different for me. I think biblically, there are challenges with disciple making. And I'm not saying this necessarily from my experience, but like one of the significant leaders of the church growth movement and one of the significant early megachurch pastors in his retirement or later years in ministry acknowledged like, wow, we did a certain type of thing, but at the end of the day, didn't exactly have the type of disciple thought we would have coming out of this. And that was some of the things someone like Bill Hybels would have said, looking back and examining this investment of these 40 years of my life and whatever. And so Pastor Jimmy and I had some overlap in familiarity with a particular congregation. And so one biblical reason for, if not abandoning it, thinking of refashioning or Pro, one of the challenges is there was a difference between a Highview member that lived in Highview, which was the neighborhood where our church was, versus a Highview member that lived in Taylorsville or the next county. 
they were faithful members. They were engaged members, but it's just a difference in their dynamic of engagement within the congregation. If it was not for the school or some other things, it would have been hard to have that level of connectivity. Mm. So, you know, one of the benefits of the of school is give you some regular kind of consistent connectivity with families, even if there was some distance. But I would say when I was there, it was definitely a difference between a five-mile and further Hivey family. Uh, does that resonate with you? No, it totally does. And I think that's one of the challenges, too, like with the modern megachurch movement, is that there's more cars on the roads. Traffic is worse. People are more mobile. They're more dual-income families than there used to be. There are more single-parent families than there used to be. And really, the megachurch calendar and the megachurch program was kind of set up for intact families mm-hmm with one person earning most of the money and the other person doing most of the driving. (laughs) And when that model of family becomes less and less prevalent, which it certainly has, it means that the program of the megachurch becomes a little bit less sustainable culturally. That doesn't mean, I think we're always going to have megachurches. I love megachurches. I wish we had more megachurches, but I do think culturally there's some real challenges to maintain the kind of programming that makes for cohesion. And one of them is when you're geographically extended, which the mega church requires people to drive in from all everywhere. Mm -hmm. Then in our modern society, there's some real challenges with engagement. Even as a church member at that time, I would say raising my family, that was always one of my big things that I wrestled with is my kids had no overlap. I'm talking zero overlap between the friends they had at church and the friends they had at school because we were driving 25, 30 minutes north and east to come to church. And so it was these two worlds. And even as a mom, that was hard because I wanted my kids to have Christian reinforcement at school, not just at church. So that was just a challenge even as a church member that I recognized before. I didn't know about church practitioner right, and right, what we're right, doing right. here, but that was a challenge I had as a mom. So any other cultural factors? So we're talking really, again, we're not dissing the idea of the regional mega church, but we're doing something different. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So we're not getting there yet. Any other reasons, either culturally or biblically, culturally, that we've moved away from this? The reason is a language church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spanish churches is a family. People, because we come into the United States, we have no family here. When the people thinking about church, they go to the church because they want to see families, the other family. Like they didn't see the people for the whole week. So Sunday is a family encounter more than the service. So the one, one of the big reason for us to do the neighborhood church is because in our culture, we want to see the pastor. We want to touch the pastor, <laughs> want to smell the pastor. <laughs> in the mega church, I was that you can't. But in the neighborhood church, you can do it. Because you see the people from the neighborhood, from the gas station, from the supermarket. Everybody is in the church Sunday, living in the neighborhood. It's so practical in order for you to take your time, have some conversation. And they feel like... Win the family every Sunday. Mm. In the mega church in the Hispanic environment, it's so difficult to do this. Yeah, I was even thinking about what you just said. We were talking just an hour ago about just what's happening in your church this past two weekends and just the diversity of your neighborhood. And, you know, we often refer back to John chapter one, where it talks about, 
you know, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, you know, as Eugene Peterson affectionately says, God moved into the neighborhood. And I feel like your church, especially uh, Pastor De Silva, is you've moved into a neighborhood that is ever changing, yet you fit that neighborhood and what it's becoming. And just the Hispanic population percentage that's grown and just how you're bringing that neighborhood experience right there, speaking and preaching and teaching in Spanish. And let me just say there's some cultural currents. This isn't necessarily biblical or theological, but there are some cultural currents and some realities. For instance, there's a reason why they haven't built any new malls mm -hmm. in America since 2007, because culturally people are moving towards more of a boutique kind of a mindset. That's why farm-to-table restaurants are popular versus chains. That's why the big box retailer is always going to exist but people are looking for a more personalized, contextualized experience. The internet may have something to do with that. But all of this says to me that there's some cultural currents that also make the mega church something that's going to be increasingly harder to sustain and increasingly more difficult to start new ones. So the ones that are there may be able to sustain mm -hmm. because they're good at what they do. They mm -hmm. offer things no one else can offer on a scale no one else can. And praise God for it. Like Amen. our mega church in our area is Christ Fellowship. We love Christ Fellowship. Yeah. They're our friends. We praise God that they're in this region. Just think what it would mean in our region mm -hmm. if Christ Fellowship ceased to exist tomorrow there would be 50 or 60 or 70,000 people who call that church home who would be displaced. We couldn't even absorb them. If they, <laughs> if, they, if they all tried to come to family church, they would have nowhere to sit. Like, it is impossible. So we praise God for mega churches. But starting a new Christ Fellowship in 2023, that seems highly unlikely for a number of reasons. I also think biblically, you know, you pointed out the incarnational nature of Jesus and the preferred incarnational nature of shepherding Pastor mm -hmm. De Silva. And I think that's so important. And also, when you just read through the New Testament, yeah, you have some mega churches, especially the one in Jerusalem, but and probably the one in Antioch was pretty big. But even the letters of St. Paul are addressed to neighborhood churches. And right. even what St. Paul says to Timothy and to Titus when he says, hey, you guys need to go appoint pastors for every town every neighborhood. And so this is what is happening in the Bible. And finally, I would just say, Leslie, the global church is mostly neighborhood churches. Yeah. It's village churches. And that's not just 2023. The global churches, the local churches throughout church history, the vast majority of them are small neighborhood village churches. So this is the way that the Christian movement has actually sustained itself and spread over the last two millennia. That's good. And we have over 40,000 congregations in our denominational family. And when we were at Highview, 4,000 would have been number 100 on that list. So by the time you get to 200, you're in the hundreds. And so the vast, 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 vast majority of congregations are not that model vast majority. So as we think about this, as our listeners are listening to the podcast and they're a pastor or they're a ministry leader, and they're thinking about changing their strategy from maybe come and see to go and reach, is there anything that you would say to them as they think through making this decision? Because obviously, even with, if you want to call it multi-site, we're calling it neighborhood church, people have done that and then they've abandoned that as well. So right, as, people, right, right. <laughs> as people are thinking about their strategy and ministry, are there any things that they should be thinking about as they weigh these options of single site, grow that single site, or perhaps start planting? What would you say to them? One thing is the people element. 
Pastor De Silva raised a wonderful point. I really enjoyed preaching to the amount of people I was preaching to. I really did not enjoy preaching and walking out and getting in my car and going 11 miles to the next sanctuary and preaching, coming in, doing the song before I preach, and then going back out and going back to the sanctuary to preach again. Because, I mean, I'm greeting the people before the first service, and I'm greeting the people after the last service. Mm. Everyone else in the middle was everyone else in the middle. And I totally, like Pastor De Silva said, smelling the pastor, touching the pastor. Well, the, the certain kind of pastors, we want to smell the sheep and we want to touch the sheep. And I really miss that element with the dynamics that we were working with there. I think the one element that's very important for the neighborhood church is uh, the pastor, the leader, they need to know who is in the neighbor. Mm -hmm. Who is in the neighbor? We know the neighborhood. We know these people, what kind of language they speak, mm. where they live. This is so important for us because when we started the church, we intentionally did it. This. We're going to know who is living in Green Acres, this area. Who is these people coming from? As you know the people, you understand what they need and who they are. Everything is changing for you in order to start or planting or doing something for the neighborhood church for the neighborhood people living in the area. So get to know you. Your neighborhood is important. Mm, yeah. Know what kind of pastor you are and know what kind of neighborhood you're in, is what you said <laughs> yes, so far. What about exactly. you, Pastor Todd? Yeah, I think for me, you know, getting a two and a half year start into this new assignment, it made you look with everything with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. And like Pastor DeSilva just said, I came in as a missionary. How do I get to know this community? I've not lived in South Florida. There's some unique challenges here. And then to get to know Martin County, the county that I'm serving in, get to know the schools, get to know the dynamics, get to know the pressure points, some of the, the situations that we could speak into as the church. And I think that is important. And if you're living up there among, I think that's going to give you one step closer to knowing kind of the gospel impact you can have at that kind of local level. And so it's been a great reset for Pam and I. We've enjoyed getting to know where we live and where we serve and focusing kind of on that ground level where everything can be scalable. Mm -hmm. That's the powerful part about this reproducible model is, is the things that we're practicing right now, we can do again and again and again with very limited resource. We can be, continue to multiply this. And I would say too, you know, Todd, to follow up on that, not only does it not require us to raise tens of millions of dollars to build gigantic facilities, it also doesn't require us to identify only superstar communicators. Mm -hmm. exactly. Because when you have a, somebody who's got to be ready to preach to 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 people, there's going to be a pretty small group of people who are going to be able to do that successfully and sustain that kind of crowd week in and week out. But there's another group of people who are gifted by the Lord, who love preaching God's word, who are going to prepare, who are going to shepherd their sheep with passion and with heart and with genuine affection and genuine spirituality. And they're not going to be equipped maybe to preach to 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000, but they'll do just fine preaching to 200 or 300 or 400. In fact, they'll find their voice with that congregation. That congregation will fall in love with them and their family and vice versa, and they'll be able to make disciples. And it's easier to find guys with that level of talent and giftedness, if you will. We can put a lot more. Uh, and so, so that really became our question. Unless when we began to think about what we're going to do here at First Baptist at the time before we became Family Church, are we going to try to make this a mega church and run 5,000 or 10,000 on one location here? Or would it be more likely that we're going to start 100 churches that run 300 
right? That would be 30,000. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, like you can do a lot more, a lot faster. And so we decided that for us, the mega church aspirations of our past were going to remain a thing of the past. And we were going to go all in on a network of neighborhood churches. And that's why in 2008, we as a congregation, as a leadership team, we abandoned the idea of the regional megachurch for us in terms of our mission field, our focus, our purpose in our time here at Family Church. That's awesome. All right. So I think that's a good stopping point for this conversation. It's tricky for us to talk about what we're not doing because we don't like talking about what we're not doing. We like to talk about what we are doing. So we're going to stick around. We're going to continue the conversation for the next episode. Yeah, so stick around. Next episode, we'll be talking about what it looks like to put a neighborhood church in a neighborhood building with a neighborhood pastor who speaks the neighborhood language and add in a neighborhood school. For right now, though, I'm Jimmy Scroggins signing off for Leslie Bennett, Josette De Silva, Todd Gasson, and Kevin Smith. Church for the rest of us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.